Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. As always, I hope you had a great week. And you can always find Let's Talk Micro on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, TuneIn Radio, GoodPods, wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find Let's Talk Micro. As far as social media, I am on TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, on X as Let's Talk Micro 1, on LinkedIn as Luis Plaza, and I have an email address which is letstalkmicro at outlook.com. So either via social media or via email, you can send any feedback, any topic suggestions. They are always welcome and appreciated. So please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, download episodes, and if the app allows you to do so, please go ahead and leave a review. It always helps the podcast, and I'm, I am always grateful for your support. If you haven't checked out the previous episode, please go ahead and do so. Uh, it was part three of the AMR subseries, so the third episode in subseries. So as you know, if you've been following the podcast, the first episode was AMR, an overview. The second episode was about beta lactams. And the third one, which is the last one, was about fluoroquinolones. And the first episode of the subseries was episode 98, and that was the overview. And then the second episode was episode 101 which is the one where Dr. Brian Bro he came into the podcast and talked about beta-lactams. So definitely check them out if you haven't already. And if maybe this is the first episode you're listening to within the podcast, where I talk about organisms, reactions, you know, I bring guests. I try to explain terms as simple as I can. You know, we created a sub-series, which is about antimicrobial resistance, in which Dr. Andrea Princey, she's the co-host, of this series with me and then we just really break down antimicrobials so i think it's very educational it is a way of bringing all this information that we need to know as part of our jobs but it can be very daunting very challenging so on the previous episode dr minky wongwatana which is he's a pharmacist that works in the industry with a lot of experience he joined the podcast on that episode to talk about fluoroquinolones so he gave us a historical overview. He talked about the mechanism of action. You know, he talked about the breakpoints for salmonella and fluoroquinolones. A lot of great information, all in all. And it was wonderfully explained by him. And, and those of you that are listening, so as we learn about drugs, you know, we, have, we know that they have different mechanisms of action. And we know with the beta-lactams, is, you know, that's the target is the cell wall. And in this case, in the case of fluoroquinolones, is DNA. So definitely great information to know. And I hope that if you haven't checked it out, go ahead and do so. But uh, Minky explained it so great. So thank you. So most definitely learning about antibiotics, you know, it's a lot of information and a lot of knowledge. You know, it can be challenging. It can be daunting. So if you're looking to learn more, I invite you to go ahead and check out learnantibiotics.com. And also check out the book, which is Learn Antibiotics, which is available in Amazon. And it includes, you know, cheat sheets, practice tests, games, and more. And these resources, you know, they are being used by thousands of people worldwide and may be helpful. So I invite you to go ahead and check them out. So today's episode is about Streptococcus pneumoniae. Those of you that have been following the podcast, you know that a couple weeks ago, Episode 119 came out, which was about Streptococcus pneumoniae. And this was an episode that was originally published as episode 57. And in it, I go over Streptococcus pneumoniae. I talk about the gram stain. I talk about morphology. 
I talk about optocan and, and biosolubility testing. And there was an episode that followed, followed that one originally, which was episode 58, which was about streptococcus pneumonia testing. So this episode, it's that original episode, but you know, with some changes, but it is about testing uh, on streptococcus pneumonia. And I talked about um, uh, urine antigen testing. I talk about molecular testing. And I also talk about the importance of correlating those results that you get from that type of molecular testing with the gram stain and morphology. All in all, a great episode and for the benefit of new listeners and as a way to kind of go back and refresh on some content, you know, uh, refresh our knowledge, please go ahead and enjoy this episode about streptococcus pneumoniae testing. Let's go ahead and listen to it. So now that I have covered morphology, you know, biochemicals for strep pneumo, let's talk about other ways of identifying it. Let's talk about other tests. Well, those of you that work in a lab, you know that, you know, you might have seen it. There is a popular antigen test called the Binex Streptococcus pneumoniae antigen card. And this is made by Abbott. This is a rapid immunochromatographic assay for the detection of Streptococcus pneumoniae on patients with pneumococcal pneumonia and meningitis. The test detects pneumococcal soluble antigen in human urine and CSF, and this is from the package insert of the test. The card has control antibody and rabbit anti-strep pneumo antibody. And what kind of samples are used? Well, for pneumonia, you need urine and CSF for meningitis. I have never seen it perform in, in CSF in the lab. I mean, it's always for urine. So the test comes with the test, you know, test cards. It has a reagent A, which contains citrate and phosphate buffer. It comes with specimen swabs and controls, which are a positive and a negative swab. And these are color coded. So you have a red swab, which is your positive control. And you have a blue swab, which is your negative control. So the positive swab has inactivated strep antigen, and the negative swab does not. So let's go ahead and start with specimen requirements. So you need urine that has been stored at room temperature for 24 hours, or refrigerated, or frozen up to 14 days is acceptable. Boric acid preserved urine is also acceptable. So those of you that work in the lab, you see the little gray tops where you put a urine that contains boric acid and that's acceptable. So if you get, you know, it's, so if you're missing a test, you can use one that came from your analysis. So CSF store at room temperature for 24 hours or also refrigerate is acceptable or samples that have been frozen for up to one week. And when I mention urines, yeah, if they have been frozen up to 14 days, that's acceptable. So how is the test performed? Well, you bring the samples to room temperature. Then your test card has two holes. You did the swab in the specimen and they place it in the bottom hole and you push it upwards. Then you add three drops of reagent A to the bottom hole. The inside of the card has an adhesive liner. You peel that off and you close the card. Once you close it, you can leave it at room temperature and read after 15 minutes. 
And if you are testing controls, you add six drops instead of three to the bottom of the hole. So what does a negative and a positive look like? So a negative result is a single pink to purple color line in the top half of the window. This line means that the test was performed correctly. And then a positive result is two lines. You have your control line and a pink sample line. The intensity of the line depends on the amount of antigen present in the sample. Any line for the test is a positive line. And I like to stress that out, you know, any line, any intensity of a line, it's a positive result. That's something that I always like to mention. And those of you that work in the lab can relate to this, which is, right, sometimes, you know, you, you're performing your test and you see the line, maybe very faint, you put it against the light and you're looking at it, you ask a co-worker, do you see a line here? Do you don't see it? Are you a little afraid to report it? Maybe repeat it barely see the line do i call it a positive or a negative so this test you know and this is not only with with strep pneumo other you know chromatographic tests and that you have you know a test line and a control line so typically any intensity any intensity of a line so any line regardless of intensity is a positive result so this is something to keep in mind whether it's a very strong line or very faint it is considered a positive result. And just like other tests where you have a control line, so if you have a test where you don't have any lines or your control line is control line is missing, this is considered an invalid result. And at that point in time, you need to repeat the test. So always make sure, you know, like I mentioned, this is a test that you you add the you know the drops to the swab and then you close the card and then you wait 15 minutes. So this test definitely has walk away capabilities. You can go ahead and set them up, set a timer and go ahead and continue doing other tests. But what you have to make sure is that when you close the card, you know, you make sure that the card it's closed properly because a lot of times, you know, if you don't do that and maybe you were light when you closed it or it can just pop open. So just make sure that it's properly closed before you walk away. And something else before you walk away, make sure that the actual, you know, that the, the sample is migrating. Because, you know, you, you put your swab, you add your drops, you close your card and make sure that the sample starts migrating up. Because sometimes it happens, you know, like you go ahead and you do your testing, you close the card, set your timer, walk away. And then when you come back in 15 minutes, you realize that it hasn't migrated. So then you go ahead, you have to go ahead and repeat the test. So in the lab, sometimes, you know, it's all about time, making sure you, we perform our tests correctly. So you need to make sure those two things before you walk away. So you don't waste time, which are make sure it has migrated and that the card is properly closed. As far as limitations of the test, it was validated on urine and CSF samples. So other samples were not validated. You know, it has a 90% specificity. And having said that, Bailey and Scott's microbiology in our great textbook that I use constantly, says that urine antigen testing has been proven effective for adult patients that receive antimicrobial treatment prior to a primary culture. So meaning that before a culture was performed, 
they had antibiotic treatment and that's when the test you know performs the best so it does not differentiate between present and past infections and according to the american society of microbiology for the their manual of clinical microbiology this test is positive in patients that are carriers without infection so remember that i said before that you can carry this organism without it causing any problems and you can have a positive test and this is actually often observed among children so it should not be used in children below six and it is recommended in adults that when you perform this test you perform it along with a traditional culture so just not by itself you should be doing some sort of culture like a sputum culture or something like that when you are performing this test so definitely keep that in mind when this test has been performed you know has good specificity but it cannot differentiate between a you know a past and a current infection and carriers might have a positive test for this but it's you know it's a very popular test you definitely see it a lot in the micro lab and those of you that remember you know we definitely saw an increase with covid you know they were ordering sputum cultures uh legionella strep pneumo and sometimes you know there were shortages and they were back order so definitely you know we struggled with this during covid as far as having proper supply you know numbers and like i mentioned before you know since streptococcus pneumoniae can cause you know causes meningitis it is part of your meningitis panel so when you those of you that work in the lab and i you know you run a meningitis test for example you know like a very popular one is from uh biomero they have the biofire system and there's the me panel the meningitis panel so strep is one of the targets for you the audience what other organisms would you expect to see in a test like this i'll give you a few seconds to think well you definitely see e coli you see streptococcus agalactiae you see cryptococcus neoformans so you know these organisms they cause meningitis so they are part of this meningitis panels so this is from the biofire the me panel so you also have for as far as blood cultures you have you know as part of the the pcr molecular nucleic acid testing streptococcus pneumoniae is one of the targets for example you know luminex has a very gene system for blood cultures that has a gram positive panel for blood culture samples so one of the targets is streptococcus pneumoniae and this is where that gram stain morphology comes in handy remember i've been saying so far it is a gram positive coxine pairs is a very distinctive morphology and you as a tech you as a student i've been asking you to keep it in mind to remember it and this is why with, with this particular panel one of the limitations of the system is that streptococcus mitis can have cross reactivity with the strep pneumo probes so what does this mean it means that maybe the sample has streptococcus mitis which is another alpha hemolytic strep the test can yield a false positive result for strep pneumo and i have seen it so typically when you are working blood cultures right your instrument flags the bottle as positive you go ahead and do your gram stain and you go ahead and report that 
And then if you have one of the setups that we can where you can run a molecular test, you go ahead and run your test. You know, it typically takes about two hours. And then you go ahead and update your result. So for example, you have gram positive coxine chains, you call it to the floor, and then your result comes back as strepnumo from that molecular test. And then you go ahead and update it to strepnumo, and then guess what? It might not grow on the plate. You might get streptomitis. When I talk about remembering that morphology, if you are running this particular test and you get a strepnumo result, correlate that with the gram stain. Maybe if you saw regular gram-positive coxine chains, I would recommend to holding off on the result, document it internally, and then verify the ID once the organism grows on the plate. But if you get the strepnumo ID, and then you go to your gram stain and you remember that it was gram-positive coxine pairs, then it will be okay to release that result. So just be careful. Granted, like I mentioned before, organisms, they do not go to school. They don't read books, so they do whatever they want. There are many factors, you know, like antibiotics and other things that can affect the morphology of a cell. So you can sometimes have a typical presentation. So you could have a, a strep pneumo that just doesn't look, you know, it's not the gram-positive coxine pairs. But, you know, it happens. You can have unusual presentations. But what I'm asking is, you know, just... If the gram stain doesn't correlate with that ID, hold off on reporting it. Just document it internally and then verify the organism once it grows on the plate. And like I said, you know, you can't have atypical morphologies. I once had a listeria that this very gene system called listeria, and the gram stain looked nothing like listeria. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the short gram positive rods. So we you know, held on reporting that ID, it was documented internally, but guess what? When it grew on the plate, it was a listeria. So you do have a typical presentation, but, you know, you always proceed with caution. That way you don't make an error and erroneously report something. As far as other systems, you know, BioFire, again, it also has a blood culture panel called the BCID2, that it also identifies streptococcus pneumonia. But it does not seem to have that, that cross-reactivity issue. So there are quite a few tests out there that can identify strep pneumo. There are some things that you should keep in mind. You know, now with Malditov, you might be seeing more of another member of the S. mitis group, which is called streptococcus pseudopneumoniae. Because, you know, if you look at, you know, once you're looking at your textbook, strep pneumo, it's part of the strep mitis group. So this organism, streptococcus pseudonymoniae, it was separated from strep pneumo. It causes respiratory tract infections in patients with predisposing conditions such as COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So it is not encapsulated. It is insoluble in bile. So remember the bile solubility test. So it is insoluble, so it would not lyse. So if you have a suspension, it should remain turbid. And this organism, it is susceptible to optokin only when it is incubated in non-CO2. And as far as optokin, 
You can also have some strains of Streptococcus oralis and Streptococcus mitis that can be susceptible to optican. However, they are insoluble in bile. So once again, insoluble in bile means that you know there will be no ghost, ghost colonies or clearing of the deoxycholate solution. So if you're doing the colonies, there will be no clearing because there's no lysis. And if you're doing the, the tube, the suspension will remain turbid. So keep that in mind when you're working on the bench, when you're reading optical disc, when you're performing IDs. So if you get this organism, Streptococcus pseudonymoniae, it is insoluble in bile, so it has a negative bile solubility test, and it is non-encapsulated. And only when it's incubated non-CO2, it can be susceptible to optican. So keep that in mind. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy learning about Streptococcus pneumonia testing. As always, I enjoy sharing this information with you. And definitely I invite you to check out that previous episode about Streptococcus pneumonia, episode 119, where I go over morphology, I go over optican, and more. As always, I am grateful for the support. Thank you for downloading episodes. Thank you for following on social media. Please continue recommending Let's Talk Micro to your coworkers, to your students. I enjoy doing this so much. As always, continue bringing that passion to what you do. It's so important. You do such great work. So as always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time. Bye.